welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 295. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. We are officially into December 2021. This year is almost over. Year two, um, in calendar months anyway. Calendar? Calendar. Calendar months, anyway, of the, uh, global pandemic. The second year that we don't have Donald Trump in office, but perhaps uh, one year closer to him running again for president in uh, 2024. So uh, there, I've covered uh, both bases. If uh, you guys are pro or anti-Trump, to be clear, I don't want to hear from you one way or the other. Let's move on quickly to, uh, to other more important and fun things. Because fun and importance really aren't mutually exclusive, are they? I mean, sometimes you have important without being fun. Sometimes you have fun without being important. But you can have both. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this podcast is both important and fun. Is the game we're going to play important and fun? Well, we'll find out in a minute, won't we? But first, we have a little feedback. We also have a frog in our throat. Pardon me. I'll try to edit some, edit some of that out. I heard from Jim Doble, he of the uh, one half of the Pie Factory podcast, and uh, a frequent commentator, comment, com, commenter on this podcast, and uh, so forth. Appreciate that. He's also a Patreon supporter. A lot of you guys already know him, so I don't need to say a whole lot. He said, following up on something I said in the last episode, when we played Dumb Cakewalk by Tomavid. I was rambling, as I do in this podcast, and I think I threw out the question, do the Kamavid headquarters still exist? Because, of course, I mean, a lot of these companies, the company doesn't exist, um, but a lot of these companies, uh, you know, even if they do exist all these decades later, you know, we're looking at 40 years since uh, Cakewalk came out, almost. Um, what was it, 82, 83? So, um... You know, so it's a reasonable question whether the uh, the physical space still actually exists. Sorry, my mind wandered off there for a minute. Uh, I'm getting old. So here's what he said. Fox Valley Center, which is where Tom of it was located, is a two-level shopping mall at US 34 and Illinois uh, Route 53. It was opened around 1975. It's about 20 miles from where I grew up. I meaning Jim, not me. I remember as a child that my parents would take a shopping there as it was the only real mall in the area until the Louis Joliet, Louis Joliet Mall opened in 1978. I doubt Tom of its office was in the mall itself, but I've not been able to locate a physical address for the former company's office. There's a large office and industrial park just behind the mall that was built at the same time, so I'm guessing their office was there somewhere. Oh, and then he corrects himself. I probably should have just corrected it in real time, but he, uh, clarifies that the uh, location is U.S. 34 and Illinois Route 59, not 53. So thanks for that, Jim. I'm not from that area, so I appreciate it whenever you can fill stuff like that in. In the past episode, he was also very helpful, giving me uh, trivia about the Braidwood Inn from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which, oh man, as I'm recording this, I just watched not that long ago, my annual viewing, and man, that's a good movie. Anyway, uh, I digress again which it seems I'm going to do a lot today. So buckle up. Thanks for the uh, the information, Jim. Keep it coming. 
If anyone else has uh, info about Comavid, go ahead and send it in. Or anything else, really. I'm pretty easy. All right, is that it for feedback? I think it is. And you know what that means? It means it's time to get on to this week's game. This week's game is Crawl from Atari 1983, designed by Steve Stoggis, which is not a name I remember talking about on the show before. The cover of the manual shows us the hero and his princess from the movie Crawl. The game, by the way, is based on a major motion picture, which we'll get to in a minute. So we see uh, the hero, and as I said, the hero and his princess. He is holding a five-pointed star, which is a weapon that sort of, kind of, is important. But again, we'll get there uh, in due time. The uh, instructions open with, A prophecy fulfilled, and the beast sailed his black fortress through the darkness of space past a thousand planets until he landed on the planet of Krull. And from the depths of the fortress came an army of inhuman soldiers called Slayers. Who, I gotta be honest, is a pretty good name for an army of inhuman soldiers. Who ravaged the planet in the name of their hideous master, and Kroll was plunged into darkness. But the prophecy foretold the arrival of the beast, and predicted one slim ray of hope for the people of Kroll. Then shall a girl of ancient name become queen, and the king she chooses shall rule the planet and their son shall rule the galaxy. The future queen of whom the prophecy spoke is Princess Lyssa, and the young king she chose is Prince Colwyn. Together they can destroy the beast and save Kroll, but will they be able to make an audience, an alliance, and save the planet? A hasty marriage ceremony was arranged for Lyssa and Colwyn. The beast was alerted by his spies, however, and the ceremony interrupted at the last minute by slayers, who stormed the castle walls. Hold on. So... The beast is alerted by his spies. Who are his spies? All he's got are these inhuman soldiers who presumably have no real sentience. They just kind of stomp around and kill things. Who's doing the spying? Is there a double agent for some reason? And who would make an alliance like that with the beast to wipe out all of the inhabitants of Krull? I guess maybe for money or something. I don't know. Anyway. The future of Krull lies in Colwyn's ability to find his bride and in their ability together to conquer the beast. The road to the Black Fortress is a dangerous one. The Slayers, the Beast, and a deadly crystal spider all lie in wait. You are Colwyn's only guide through this journey ahead. You'll need both strength and wisdom to destroy the beast, but remember the prophecies on your side. Good luck and safe journey. So that's that's the fort that's the mission, right? You gotta get to the Black Fortress, rescue the princess, destroy the beast. Uh, pretty straightforward stuff for an Atari game, or any video game really, but here's where the game gets bogged down. You have to find the fortress first, and that is a central tenet of the movie as well. As I'm recording this, I have seen the movie, and I have, uh, spoiler, I have recorded a review of that movie, although when I recorded the review, I had not yet played the game. So I made some predictions in the in that episode about what I thought the game would be, and it turns out I'm uh, wrong, basically. What they try to do in this game is play a, is present you with a boiled-down version of the entire movie. They cut some things, of course, but in the effort to do that, they've also made the game frustrating and tedious. Um, but we'll get there in a minute. So, first thing is, you have to find the, where the Black Fortress is. To do that, you have to go to the lair of the Widow of the Web, inside a cavern in a gigantic web. 
Um, sitting in the middle of this web is a poisonous crystal spider, who is the guard. And then the widow's cocoon, which is on the screen, really just looks like a doorway up at the top of the screen. You have to move your way through this web, and, which is slow going because the web is sticky and it makes it hard for you to move. It slows you way down. You got to avoid the spider. You got to get to the to the cocoon. And when you stand there, a blinking light appears at some point uh, in one of the eight points on the screen, signifying the eight different pathways to the fortress. If you go down that correct pathway before the next sunrise, because the other th annoying thing about this game is you're constantly cycling through sunrise, daytime, sunset, nighttime, next sunrise. And this is signified by a, a colored bar at the top of the screen. Red is sunrise, blue is daytime, black is night, of course, and then the next uh, sunrise. If you cannot, so you have to, you, you negotiate through this web, you don't get attacked by the spider, hopefully, you get to the cocoon, it shows you which, basically which point on the screen to exit the screen. You hop on your horse again, because I forgot to mention, uh, when the game opens, the game opens with the battle scene. Actually, it opens with your wedding. You hear the wedding march, you and Lissa get married, the uh, slayers appear. This is really just a chance for you to rack up some points by killing some slayers. You sword fight with them, they shoot lasers at you, which hardly seems fair, but that's the way it is. But the battle's always going to end the same way. They're always, well, either you're going to run out of lives and the game's over already, or they're going to kidnap Lissa regardless of what you do and take her away. You hop on your horse, you gallop across screen, uh, which looks kind of cool, but you have to do this over and over again, and it gets tedious. That's my word for the day. Uh, as you go, you have to hit the button, that red button, in the upper left-hand corner of your controller at just the right point to pick up the weapon at the bottom of the screen called a glaive, G-L-A-I-V-E, which is a five-pointed star, because you're going to need that for the, for the big battle at the end. You can also pick up lives. It's hard to do this. For some reason, it's really hard to hit your button at just the right time. And one of the frustrating things about the game is it lets you get to the big battle at the end theoretically, without any glaives. And if you don't have any glaives, well, you have to leave the bit battle and go back to the uh, Widow's Web and find out where the fortress is at now. If you get to the bit battle and you fail and you don't run out of lives, again, you have to go back to the Widow's Web. I mean, ride your horse across screen again, go back to the web, get to the sticky web, find out where it is now, go that direction. If you screw up and don't time it right, meaning you don't get there before the next sunset or sunrise or whatever it is, you end up riding across the screen on your horse. You get to where the fortress is supposed to be, you thought, or is, but you're too late. And you hear basically this game's equivalent of wah, wah, because there ain't no fortress there. And you get back on your horse, you ride back across the screen. Do the widow's web again. Uh, the only benefit of, of having to repeat the ride across the screen on your horse is, one, it looks kind of cool. Two, it is a chance for you, if you can time it right, hitting your red button, you can pick up more glaives and possibly more lives, which is a benefit. But it is incredibly, here it comes again, incredibly tedious. You start the game with three lives, and as I said, you can pick up extra lives and the glaives as you go along through the Iron Desert. Red indicates, uh, at the top of the screen, red indicates sunrise and sunset. Blue indicates daytime and black indicates nighttime. The game tells you, the manual tells you that we, as you're riding across the Iron Desert, you're riding the fire mares. The fire mares are, if poorly executed, 
uh, still a cool concept from the movie. These horses that look like just regular horses, except they can run really fast and fire comes out of their hooves for no particular reason other than it's a reason to call them uh, fire mares. I didn't mention when you're in the web, you have a limited amount of time to get through the web to the cocoon. There's an hourglass at the top of the screen, you know, draining the sand. It doesn't really seem to make a big difference, but theoretically if the sands run out before you get to the cocoon, the spider rushes forward and take one of your lives. I guess I did. I guess that did kind of happen to me a little bit, but it wasn't that... It wasn't that big of a problem. Once in a while, you're going to hear my phone chirp. I got a new phone, and I'm still going through the, uh, the annoying process of resetting all of my specifications that I liked as far as how much noise it makes for various things. So, apologies, but it, it's going to chirp every once in a while. You can lose your glaives. Remember I said you have to pick up these glaives as you're riding through the Iron Desert. You can lose them in two ways. Uh, either your glaive hits the beast when you're in the uh, fortress, uh, because first you have to destroy the dome that's imprisoning the princess, but if you accidentally hit a hit the beast who's moving back and forth between you and the dome, you lose a glaive. Uh, also, if it rebounds off the uh, prison wall, because basically when you get to this point, you're playing Breakout, or maybe Warlords is a better comparison, because the beast is shooting at you as you're firing your glaive, at this wall, more or less, between you and the princess, and breaking little pieces out of it, trying to make a hole so the princess can get out. You can't leave the Black Fortress while you have any glaives remaining, because once you run out of glaives, you, uh, you, there's nothing you can do there. You have to leave, go back across the Iron Desert, go through the web again, find out where the fortress is now, get back on your horse, go back to the fortress, and, oh, by the way, all the damage that you did to the dome has been repaired, so you have to start over. But if you're lucky enough to actually break a hole into Lissa's prison, large enough to admit a glaive, you throw the glaive into the prison, I guess not killing her, and she travels down to you, Colwyn, giving uh, you a fireball, which is you can use to kill the beast. The movie makes this whole big deal at the beginning of the movie during the wedding ceremony about transferring, they, they dip their hands into water, what appears to be water anyway. They never quite say what this liquid is. And something about transferring fire from her to him or vice versa or something. And then it's reversed at the end of the movie. And that's how, I think at the beginning of the movie, he transfers it to her. And then at the end, she gives it back to him so that he, because he's the man, I guess, gets to be the one that kills the beast. Spoiler. So in the game, you punch a hole into the dome with your glaive. Princess Lissa travels down to you, gives you a fireball, and you throw the fireball directly at the beast and destroy him. After the beast has been killed, the game starts over at a more difficult level. You can continue playing until all extra lives have been lost. Using the joystick controller, you move colon around the screen, obviously with the controller, up, down, right, left, diagonally. The red fire button stabs slayers, pick up the extra lives and the glaives to jump over the strands of lev, uh, web and to throw the glaives and fireballs inside the black fortress. There are four levels. Game 1 is regular, game 2 is beginner, game 3 is intermediate, and game 4 is advanced. For the most part today, I played on the beginner level, and it's still really, really frustrating. And, dare I say it again, tedious. Supposedly, gameplay becomes progressively more difficult as you move from the beginner level to the regular level, and so on. Spider becomes more difficult. Spider web becomes more difficult to climb, the sun rises and sets at a faster pace. 
In the movie, they make a big deal of how there's two sons. That doesn't really seem to come into play in the game, or in the movie for that matter. As the game gets more difficult, you have less time to reach the cocoon before the crystal spider descends upon you, and the beast's attacks are more frequent. Difficulty switches and TV type switch have no function in this game. Helpful hints. Start playing at level 2, which is what I did, the beginner version to become familiar with gameplay, then move on to harder levels. Make sure you have at least one glaive before entering the Black Fortress, since you'll need a weapon to rescue Princess Lissa and fight the beast. I mentioned that earlier. You can, in theory, get to the Black Fortress and face down the beast with no glaives, but it is pointless because you can't do anything. A lot of games would just wouldn't let you get in there uh, without whatever secret weapon you need, but this game will, and it's dumb. If you think you may not have enough time to reach the Black Fortress before sunrise, simply wait on the wid Widow's Cocoon until the next sunrise, then go down the new path to the Black Fortress. That is kind of nice in a way, because when you're sitting in the cocoon, which again, just looks like a doorway. I, for when I first started playing the game, I kept thinking you, you would go to another screen, but you don't. You just kind of stand there. But the spider disappears while you're standing there, so there's no threat from that. So yeah, you could just stand there forever if you want. Go get a sandwich, go to the bathroom, refill your massive glass of gin that you need to get through this game. You know, whatever. But, so that is kind of handy. Uh, the final helpful hint, try to reach the widow's cocoon from the upper left side of the web. Maneuver yourself to the web center. The movement of the web will pull you up to the cocoon. This kind of sort of worked. I, I don't know if it made that much difference, but I guess it helped a little bit. Because I did try to do that. Atari welcomes your comments. Please address all correspondence too. Atari Inc. Customer Relations, 1312 Crossman Avenue, P.O. Box 61657, Sunnyvale, California, 9408. Six. Limited 90-day warranty on the cartridge. Has anyone ever written to Atari to offer your comments about anything? And what sort of response did you get? I'm just curious. And that is how you play Crawl from Atari 1983. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies, waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. 
After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. That's how these books work. But you gotta read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy Holidays! I think I said earlier that the game was designed by Steve Stoggis. It's actually Dave Stoggis. My apologies to Mr. Stoggis. He also apparently ported Millipede to the 2600. Gottlieb manufactured an arcade uh, shooter of the same name in the same year, but is unrelated to the 2600 cartridge other than the Krull license. According to ArcadeHistory.com, Dave Stoggis also worked on Rampage for the 7800, Hover Strike for the Jaguar. I mentioned Millipede already. Gregory George of the Atari Times wrote that Crawl is a superb game, and the fact that it is a movie license makes it even more so. Oh, shout out to Jerome uh, Domerat for the graphics as well. Atari Protoss observes that this game was originally intended to be a 5200 game, which would be similar to the Gottlieb coin-op that I mentioned, but according to Atari Protoss, the 5200 wasn't doing so great at the time this game was being developed, so they converted it to a 2600 game. They say the arcade uh, version was a flop as well. I can't really speak to that. Someone who knows more about arcade history can probably tell us more about that. Proto says that each level of uh, Crawl the Game follows one of the main parts of the movie. Uh, I guess that's basically true, although they leave out, understandably, uh, a lot of big parts. On the surface, Proto says, it may seem that Crawl is rather complex and difficult, but for a game based on a movie, it really works well. The three different stages on their own aren't amazing, but together they deliver enough variety to keep the player from getting bored, especially the last stage. It's a shame that Krull seemed to have such a small print run, making it somewhat rare today, as it is a unique game in the 2600 library and well worth a second look. In 2019, comicbook.com put out an article called The Krull Video Games Were Pretty Great. Let's take a look back. First, they talked about the 2600 version. They call Krull a solid action game. It's comprised of four different sequences, all based from the film. Uh, the Wedding, The Fire Mares, The Widow of the Web, and The Black Fortress. Uh, basically, they surmise that all of this sounds tiring, but is really a test of skill before you manage to get through the barrier and get one shot to finish off the beast with Lissa transformed into a fireball. Okay, that part is weird, since she doesn't do that in the movie, but it makes for a cool segment. Then you win and start over again. It's a simple game in nature, but really well done considering the theme, and worth picking up if you're a collector, especially if you can find the original box. If anyone has the original box, let me know. And they move on to the arcade game, which what they say is quite cool, considering other games on the market, produced uh, by Gottlieb in conjunction with Columbia Pictures, took a two-joystick approach, one to move your character, the other controlled the direction of fire for your glaives once you pick them up. Not the most in-depth arcade game, but a lot of fun. You can also pick up Crawl with VHS-style packaging on Blu-ray, I have not done that. Psycho Key, in a 2001 review on GameFAQs, says that Crawl was one of this person's favorite 2600 games. Combined many types of action with a little bit of adventure, captures the essence of the movie very well. Even if you haven't seen the movie, it's a great game. They give the story a 7, gameplay a 9, graphics an 8, sound and music a 7, control a 10, 
and replay value of 7. I personally think no 2600 collection should be without this. Wow, I might have some quibbles with that. I mentioned the Atari Times review earlier. They said the graphics were superb. Some of the best ever on the 2600. Boy, they're pretty good. I don't know if I'd say some of the best ever. Each of the sprites are multicolored and appropriately detailed. Colwyn looks great. Smoothly animated. I will say this. When the Slayers kill Colwyn, they do do this kind of cool effect where the, the sprite actually kind of doubles over and like, I've been shot, kind of thing. That was kind of cool. The sound is otherworldly, as was the movie. Also, uh, another thing that separates the game from the rest, from other games, is the sense that it is played in real time, which adds a bit of strategy to the game. That's the part about how I said, if you can't get from the Widow's Web to the fortress before the next sunrise, you just have to wait. It's not really a strategy thing, it's just an annoying disruption to the flow of the game, in my opinion. As for the movie, I've basically given you the plot of the movie. Colwyn and Lissa get married as they're attacked by slayers who work for the beasts that have invaded this planet. Lissa is captured. Colwyn's got to find the fortress to to find out where... you got to find the fortress so he can go rescue Lissa and kill the beast to save the planet. They leave out a bunch of stuff, understandably. Um, there's many other characters in the movie. Colwyn joins basically a, a band of, of uh, heroes to go do this job. There's an old man sort of guide for the group. There's a a sorcerer, there's a, a seer. A lot of the stuff in the movie, frankly, is there, I think, either because it was sort of a half idea, a particular character might have been a half idea that never really got fleshed out. A lot of it is filler because they, the writer didn't seem to quite know where to go with things. It's almost, it, it's like a, a first draft of a movie that they went ahead and put on film. So I think, unlike some movie adaptations to video games, this Atari game actually improves on the movie in the sense that it boils the movie down to the essential parts and turns it into a game. So I do give Atari props for that. But they still manage to be pretty tedious. Man, I should be doing a drinking game, but really I'd just be getting myself drunk, which may not be a bad thing. The game might go better. Krull the movie gets a 32% uh, fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was released on July 29, 1983. It's a two hour movie. Krull made 16.9 million at the box office on a budget of 27 to 30 million. We'll get more into this in the next episode, spoiler, but I think the biggest thing the movie had going for it was James Horner uh, did this music for the movie. So, a movie that flopped basically at the box office and a game that's pretty rare. Um, that's Krull for you, I guess. Uh, the other strike the movie has against it is that Krull is not. The Power of Krull, K-R-O-L-L, which was a four-part Doctor Who story from 1978 featuring the legendary fourth Doctor. Krull in that movie, Krull, K-R-O-L-L, was a massive squid creature which was worshipped by a bunch of green people. There was not a single fire horse in the movie, um, which is the only thing going against it because, again, fourth Doctor, he's awesome. Oh, what's a fire horse, you ask? Well, tune into the next episode. But first, we are obliged to finish this episode. So, after the episode, I glaive you more show. Hey, everybody. So, in 1983... The movie Powers That Be took a 
pretty good idea for a movie and turned it into an almost okay movie. And then Atari said, hey, that's an almost pretty good movie. Let's make a game out of it. And they did. And it turned out to be an almost okay game. To clue you in, I've never actually finished this game, largely because I got tired of it. So uh, in a minute, you're going to see what I'm talking about. So let's try it out. Here we have the wedding of Lissa and Crowl. Uh, I've already forgotten the guy's name. Corwin. Colwin. The uh, enemy invaders look kind of cool. This is mostly just uh, for you to rack up points. It always ends the same way. I missed that glaive. There are lots of time-wasting you watching the horses gallop in this game. They look good, but it really just kind of wastes time. Now we're in the uh, Widow's Web. You can see a blinking dot at the bottom of the screen. Now it went away because I moved out of the cocoon. That doorway-looking thing was a cocoon. Okay, now I know. Now I picked up a glaive. It is hard as hell to pick those up, by the way. It shouldn't be, but it is. Now we're at the fortress. There's the beast. We do sort of a breakout, or more like warlords kind of segment here, because they're shooting at you. I have to throw the glaive at that dome thing without getting hit and still catching the glaive when it comes back, because if I miss it, then I'm done. And I have to leave and come back again. Now, see, when it bounced back, it hit the beast, so I've lost my glaive. I could just stand here and get killed, which I did. I was trying to leave. I'm going to try this again. This time, I am not going to try and hit anybody, because I don't want to waste a life. Oh, I gotta hit that guy. I've tried doing this before where I just stand there, but then they end up shooting at me. Lave. Tedious horse riding. Not that the horses don't look good. Widow's web. If you, if I had not died in the beast fortress before, I would have had to come back here again climb through these stupid sticky webs. There's the uh, light showing me which direction to go. If I don't leave this screen in this direction, and I don't get just the glaive, like I said, you should just be able to hit the button, but it doesn't work for it. And I have, I didn't get there quote unquote before the next sunrise, even though I did because the top of the screen is not red, uh, so there's no fortress. So I have to come back here and do this all over again. They have taken one of the least interesting parts of the movie, which is that the fortress moves around, and made it a central feature of this game for no reason at all other than it slows down the action and frustrates you. Slave. Fortress. The Fortress Rising does look kind of cool in 1983 Atari standards. I mean, obviously what you gotta do is you gotta get the rhythm of the beast's movement and him throwing things at you and time your throws with that. And honestly, I just haven't gotten good enough at it yet. But partly that's 
largely that's because I got tired of this game. And I hit the beast. After you just punch through the fortress thing, the dome thing, then supposedly Lissa comes out, gives you fire, as in the movie, and then you use that to kill the beast. Like I said, I haven't gotten that far yet. If you punch some holes in the dome thing and then you have to leave and come back, you have to start over as well. Also frustrating. Ah. Game over. You know what? I'm tired of this field report too. So, back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Card by Card podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. So, here's the thing about Crawl, the game. I get what all these reviewers like about the game. It looks really good. When I first turned it on, I was like, whoa, this looks really cool. But, and they do, compared to some games, like Raiders of the Lost Ark comes to mind, which tried to turn the whole movie into a game, and it didn't quite work. Crawl does a nice job of giving you the whole movie, essentially, but boiling it down to some easier set pieces for the game. I might have included, there's a segment in the movie where they have to catch the fire mares. Uh, there's some stuff with quicksand. There's uh, a, a bit where the, the uh, seer, which doesn't appear in the game, but it's a character in the movie, gets attacked. There's some other stuff they could have done. There's some sequences climbing through the mountains. I would have done less back and forth and back and forth. Because in both the game and the movie, the fact that the fortress moves around really doesn't make any difference. You could have the hidden fortress and you could have it be an essential plot point that you have to find where it is. But once you find it, it's there. Even in the movie, there's a, a, a lot of the movie is made up of advances and setbacks in trying to find where the fortress is. But once they find it, they know where it is and they go there. In this game, every time you mess up, you have to find the fortress again. And it's not like each time something different happens. Some, like sometimes there's a, a bit where finding it again means you have to fight the slayers. And then the next time you have to get through the quicksand field. And then the time after that you have to do this. It's not that. You're just repeating the exact same thing over again. Oh, I have to go back to the widow's web. I have to do this and I have to ride my horse again. And, and even when you're riding the horses you're not doing anything. You're just watching your horse ride across the stream. I guess you're picking up glaives and maybe extra lives. You are doing that. Uh, and that's a benefit. But other than that, it's everybody drink, tedious. 
So that knocks the game down for me. I did not actually get spoiler for the field report, which actually now that I think about it, you've already heard it. You know, I got to the fortress. I started, I, I never got to the point where I completely punched the hole through the dome and saved Lissa and killed the beast. Largely because I got really tired of this game. Not that I think it's a bad game. Not that I think it looks bad. I just, the constant repetition was getting on my nerves. Maybe it's just that kind of day. So I haven't actually finished the game. Maybe I'll go back sometime when I'm in a better mood about it and try it again. But I'll be honest, I probably won't. Um, if you guys have thoughts about Crawl, good or bad, let me know. Either about the game or about the movie, because uh, I've already spoiled it. Next episode, we're talking about the movie. So share your Crawl comments. Even if you miss it, that episode, send your comments anyway. Uh, as always, I'm happy to hear from you guys about anything, uh, and you know how to get a hold of me. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Fire Horse. Flames galloped across the prairie unimpeded. The fire service could do nothing but watch. Captain Osborne turned to his lieutenant. Mitch, he bellowed. Where's Jenkins? We need that fire hose now. Before Mitch could lower his bandana to speak, Lieutenant Kim Jenkins called out from the horizon, running at full speed. Here, sir, I got the horse. It's about time, Jenkins, the captain barked. This is the most intense fire I've seen in 30 years of firefighting. He paused. Wait, did you say horse? Jenkins nodded. At that moment, a mane flowing in the breeze, a gorgeous auburn-haired mare galloped up to the assembled, helpless firefighters and stood proudly beside them, awaiting instructions. I asked for the hose. Why did you bring a horse? The captain asked, employing every self-control device that Weasley Counselor in the pink shirt had taught him. Jenkins was confused. You asked for a fire horse, sir, and Marie is the best. Marie the mare whinnied. <laughs> the captain, completely ignoring the advice of several doctors and that guy on that one podcast, exploded. Get the GD horse out of my GD site before I GDF your GD career. He gathered himself. You understand, I'm saying G, D, and F in place of profanity. Everyone, including Marie the mare, nodded. Heads hung low, Jenkins and Marie trotted off toward the horizon. With that out of the way, the captain turned back to his crew. Right, back to work. Crowley, we need to establish a perimeter to the east. I want... But the captain was interrupted again, this time by Battalion Chief Conrad. Sir, I got the fire hose. About damn time, the captain grunted. Only, the thing is... Conrad said reluctantly. The hose has a kink in it? I know you don't like it kinky. A voice from the back of the crew called. That's not always true. The captain ignored that. Get to work unkinkifying it, he said, stumbling over the made-up syllables in his haste. Where's the chopper with my water? One of the crew stopped shoveling the trench to contain the flames. Down in the valley, Captain, the bearded one said. They're filming a reunion movie of 1980s adventure series Airwolf rented up all the helicopters in the state. The other digger shook his head. Won't be the same without Ernest Borgnine. God, I miss him. Remember how good he was in Marty? Oscar winner right there. And Poseidon Adventure? Should have won for that one, too. Could we focus, please? The captain interrupted. He looked at his battalion chief. What do we do now? Back at the horse bar, Jenkins and Marie the mare sat together, commiserating over a couple 
horse feather cocktails. Marie stamped her hooves, agitated. Nothing wrong with orange bitters, Jenkins said. That's just how they make horse feathers here. She drained her glass and gestured to the bartender for another. Marie the mare huffed. I know, Jenkins said. I know you want to help. Marie the mare whinnied. <laughs> champing at the bit at society's expectations. Why shouldn't a horse fight fires? What, only humans are capable? Humans set fires. You ever see a horse set a fire? Nope. Humans have a lock and screwing crap up. Fires, wars, the third installment of most movie trilogies. Horses, in contrast, save the day. Consider Man o' War, the Lone Ranger's horse Silver, that coin-operated rocking horse outside the walled drug that was the only thing that made child-sized you shut up long enough that your mom to pick up a carton of smokes to bid ball of scotch and dad's nitroglycerin prescription. Marie's nostrils flared as she finished her rant. Jenkins stroked her neck. There, there, Jenkins said. Easy, girl, I get it. But even when you're right, sometimes... Sometimes it's just not your time, you know? Maybe someday it'll be your time, but not today. The front door of the horse bar burst open. A frantic, sweaty firefighter with a patchy beard and a sexy eye patch burst in. Crowley? Jenkins said. Crowley, what happened? Crowley's eyes were wide and scared. Can't contain it. The fire just laughs at the wire. Leaps over trenches like... Uh, like a thing that leaps easily over stuff. Nothing we can do. The whole valley would be incinerated in no time. Is that calamari? Crowley snatched an appetizer from a nearby plate. Jenkins was frozen in place. Ironic, given her drinking companion for whom stillness was next to death. Marie the mare, from the clan Firehorse, took a huge sip of her horse feather cocktail and spit out her straw. It was time to go to work. Moments later, Jenkins was astride Marie, both bareback, galloping toward the epicenter of the conflagration. The captain spotted them and nearly swallowed the key to the fire truck, though why he kept the key to the fire truck in his mouth is anyone's guess. Jenkins, he shouted, what the devil are you doing? Saving your ass, Captain, Jenkins hollered back. Marie's hooves pounded the dirt faster and faster, so rapidly to barely be seen. Tendrils of smoke slowly curled their way up Marie's powerful calves and haunches. Like the fire horses of old, Jenkins screamed. This mare stands proud as the last of her kind, the last who can truly, from the depths of her soul, fight fire with fire. White-hot flames surrounded each of Marie's hooves, yet she did not cry out in pain. In fact, the flames seemed to propel her forward even as they intensified. Marie, with Jenkins astride, rode into the center of the fire. Marie stomped the flames into submission with her fire hooves. Within minutes, acres of deadly fire were pounded into nothingness. The firefighting crew stood in awe, peering into the lingering smoke, trying to make sense of what they'd just seen. Slowly, they began to hear the soft thrum of hooves on the scorched earth as Jenkins and Marie appeared through the billowing smoke. A horse once more, flameless but proud, Marie trotted up to the men and stood. Jenkins dismounted, awaiting either effusive praise for a decisive act. She allowed herself to dare consider a promotion, or perhaps a dressing down for disobeying orders. She got neither. The captain peered at her. Right, he said, nodding. Let's head back to the headquarters. The work completed, the men moved away to load the truck. Jenkins nodded, her life's outlook confirmed. See, like I said, Jenkins told Marie, sometimes it's not your time.
this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Leave a crawly good review at Apple Podcasts for this show. Preferably a five-pointed star of a glaive review. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And also check us out on Instagram. Call and leave a voicemail too. 563-265-1978, and there's a pretty good chance I'll play it on the show. The website is www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, where you'll find all the stuff you need to know about this show, about my other podcast, it's podcast Charlie Brown, and about books that I've written. I may have mentioned the books once or twice, and they're still there. If you'd like info, go to the website and get that. You might also consider, while you're wandering the internet, heading over to patreon.com, to help support this show. Link in the show notes. You can hang out with these fine folks, in a sense, along with helping keep the lights on here in the podcast studio. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. My thanks to one and all. All right, uh, we're about out of here. All that's left is to tell you what's coming up next episode, which I've already pretty much done. Those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that for the last episode of every year, I put away the game console, I uh, lay down my quill pen and roll up the parchment on which I write the stories that you hear every week, and I take a little holiday break. Um, But I don't stop producing shows. Instead, I just kind of kick back and I watch a movie. And usually it's a movie related to one of the games that I played during that year. And this year I thought it would be fitting, uh, since we're talking about the Kroll game, to talk about the Kroll movie. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, the whole next episode will be devoted to the movie. But uh, I'm not going to be alone. Shouldn't be alone on the holidays, right? So to uh, to help me with this, I have invited Patreon supporter Patrick McCarthy to hang out and chat about this movie. What we like, what we don't like, Patrick is himself uh, a screenwriter. So he has... Uh, that perspective on things, uh, as well as just a fan of uh, you know Atari stuff, and movies, and uh, is, uh, we should have just a really nice conversation. And I hope you enjoy it as you see out the year that was, 2021. I think I don't have the calendar in front of me. I think the episode drops the day after Christmas, so you'll still be basking in the glow of the holidays uh, and probably looking for a break from your relatives. So you can put in your, your uh, earbuds and, uh, and listen to the show. So uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, if you can, go watch the movie before you listen to the episode. You'll have that much more enjoyment or hatred. Your mileage may vary. So uh, do that. Also, the other thing you should do over this holiday break is, you know, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,